Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I'm a substitute for another guy edition as the Bengals get ready to face the Pittsburgh Steelers with Jake Browning making his first NFL start at quarterback. Coming up, I'll talk to quarterback's coach, Dan Pitcher, who says this is an opportunity for him to show that he's a good coach. Jason McCourty from Good Morning Football joins me to share his thoughts on how the Bengals need to rally around their new QB. Logan Wilson discusses his tackle last week that resulted in an injury to Ravens tight end Mark Andrews. And finally, in this week's Know the Foe conversation, we'll hear from Brooke Pryor, who covers the Steelers for ESPN. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor, proud to be the Bengals' official HR software provider. By Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet, designed to elevate your home, business, and community to a new level. And by Kettering Health, the best care for the best fans. Kettering Health is the official health care provider of the Bengals. Now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since Jim Donovan getting a game ball. Jim is the longtime radio voice of the Cleveland Browns and one of my favorite broadcasters in the NFL. When the Browns were really, really bad several years ago, I told Jim that if I was teaching a college course on sportscasting and had to discuss how to call games for a losing team, I'd have him do a guest lecture because he never lost his enthusiasm. Even when the team was lousy, his broadcasts were exciting and entertaining. This year, Jim had to step away from the booth for a couple of months for cancer treatments, but he returned last week served as the honorary dog pound captain before the game, that's the Browns equivalent of the ruler of the jungle, and after Cleveland beat Pittsburgh on a last-second field goal, he received a game ball from Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski. It was a classy gesture for a fantastic announcer. Now, let's get to the Bengals. As I just mentioned, Cleveland beat Pittsburgh last week and did so with a backup quarterback, rookie Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Now, Jake Browning will try to do the same thing as he makes his first start since the 2019 Rose Bowl, when his Washington Huskies lost by five to Ohio State. When Jake takes the field this Sunday, it will be his first start in a game that counts in four years, 10 months, and 25 days. Browning is 27 years old, and has spent the last four years on NFL practice squads, two years with the Vikings, and two years with the Bengals. This week, I discussed him and the challenge of going the rest of the year without Joe Burrow with Bengals quarterbacks coach Dan Pitcher. Dan, I think most people have heard of the seven stages of grief, shock, denial, depression, etc. I don't mean to be too flippant about it, but the final stage is acceptance, did the team go through something similar when Joe suffered his injury? I think so. I think we all did. You know, and I think it's kind of happens on an individual level. Um, you know, everybody walked in this building in April with visions of us winning a Super Bowl and Joe Burrow leading us to that. And so I think it's natural. You have to process the reality that that's not going to happen this year. Uh, with Joe leading us, and and so that that hurts, and you but you, you, you kind of sort through that. Uh, we've done that. I know I've done that, um, and very quickly, 
you have no other choice but to move forward. Did it help at all that the injury happened on a Thursday and you had a few days to process it before practice really kicked back in again on Monday? <laughs> no matter when that happened, it was going to stink. So, you know, I don't know if helps the right word. I mean, it does having a little bit of extra time to craft the plan around Jake and for Jake to, to have that mindset of, you know, is my time, I got to go. Uh, I think that that helps a little bit for sure. We're visiting with quarterbacks coach Dan Pitcher. Joe showed up for training camp in the best physical condition of his life, then suffered the calf injury on day two of camp. What kind of season do you think he was going to have if he was healthy? All I can look at is the progression of his career from rookie season to year two where we go to the Super Bowl to strides that he made last year, and you can't help but assume that it would have continued on that path. And I think as he, as he got healthier and healthier and felt more and more confident moving around out there, we started to see that. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a setback. Um, it's a disappointment. But it's the reality that, that we have right now. And, and I know the way he's wired, he's going to do everything in his power to get right back to that same spot where he was coming in the best shape of his life. And, uh, you know, we'll be in good shape. Let's turn to your starting quarterback against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday, Jake Browning. You've spent about two and a half years working with him. What are Jake's biggest strengths? You know, Jake is very intelligent. He loves football. He sees the game at a very high level. Um, and he's done everything in his power during the course of his time here uh, to earn the respect and the trust of his teammates. And so everybody in this building holds Jake in very high regard. And that's that's an important step to now moving into this leadership role. And the next step is you got to be able to play. You know, all that other stuff's great mm-hmm. and it's important, but you got to be able to play. And Jake can play. Jake hasn't had a lot of opportunity to show that he can play, but we've seen it in practice. We've seen how fast he's able to 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 process and and make the right decisions. He's not Joe. There's going to be a difference. We all understand that. Everybody in the world understands that. But he has what it takes to go help us win football games, and that's what we expect. What, if anything, do you think he's gained from spending two and a half years of working with Joe? I think, really, one of the things I pride myself on is just the, the environment that we have in that room and, and together on the field on game day and, and the openness that exists there and just being able to talk through things and solve problems on the fly. And I think just you can't help but getting you know you you, you're going to get better if you spend time in that environment in my opinion that's why I I want it to be the way that it is and he's been there now for two and a half years and so he's asked a lot of great questions he's answered a lot of good questions he's seen us have to uh, overcome the hurdles that pop up every now and then that maybe were unexpected and he knows how we communicate and so all those things should put him in position to have success we're chatting with quarterbacks coach Dan Pitcher people joke that the quarterback who holds the clipboard has the greatest gig in the world one thing I admire about Jake is that when he was the practice squad quarterback, he wasn't content. He would spend his off-seasons working on his mechanics, trying to improve his arm strength. Was that noticeable from year to year? Yeah, that's why he's here in the role that he's in. Um, he's a better player than he was when we signed him before the start of the 2021 season. And that's due to his work. And that's not always easy because when you exist in that role, especially when you were the third guy, which he was for a considerable amount of time, the reps are even fewer and, and further between. So to have that dedication to his craft, to put the effort that he's put in, to try to be there as an asset to anyone and everyone. I mean, this guy 
spent two years meeting with the defensive backs on Tuesdays, watching the opposing offense and giving them the perspective of the quarterback and what he's looking at and why he's looking at it. So he doesn't have to do that. He did it because he's a good teammate and he wants the team to have success. And so those are the things that now as these guys are going to have to rally around him, that, that's what's earned that, that respect and that trust. His backup is now 33-year-old A.J. McCarron. You joined the Bengals in 2016, the year after he almost led Cincinnati to a playoff win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. What stands out about A.J. at this stage of his career? I've, I've been with A.J. now two separate stints, and I believe A.J.'s in a, he's a better player now than he was then. He's obviously seen a lot more football. Uh, he's in as good a shape, or if not better shape, than he was his first time around here. You know, I think if, even if you ask him, he would tell you that the knee injury that he suffered in Atlanta in the preseason a few years back now and and how he kind of just reframed his whole approach towards rehabbing that and getting himself ready has put him in a great spot physically. So uh, AJ's been awesome. Uh, really just happy with everything he's brought to the table since he's been here this second time around. Um, and he'll be there to support Jake in that role. Um, and, you know, hopefully we don't need him, but if we ever did, I know he'll be ready to step in and play. To be successful now without Joe Burrow, do you need more out of Joe Mixon? I think you need more out of everyone, uh, Joe Mixon included. You need more out of the coaching staff. You need more out of the, the line. It's, it, you know, Joe Joe is the engine, right? And, and now the rest of us have to compensate when a part of that engine isn't working like you expected it to work. And so... It falls on everybody, and I think the, the nice thing is when you look around and you feel the energy in this building and people understand that and they're, they're embracing it. You know, you can, you can mope around and, and think, woe is me, or you look at it as an opportunity, and it's an opportunity for all of us to show that we're good at what we do. It's an opportunity for me to show I'm a good coach. Hmm. I mean, I know that. That's, that's, i, I got to prove that now, you know, and, and I, I think I've proved that working with Joe, but, you know, Joe's Joe. Joe's going to do a lot of things that I could never teach him hmm. to do. And Jake can do some of that stuff, too. But uh, everyone's got to be on top of their game. Let's look at the challenge this week. The Pittsburgh Steelers, the names change, the results don't. On defense, the number seven in the NFL and fewest points allowed. What is the constant year after year after year of going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense? Just uh, toughness, pass rush, aggressiveness. You know, Coach Tomlin has done an incredible job there. And it's year after year, and... You know the the guys changed now. Their their core guys, you know, T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, Minka Fitzpatrick. Who you know whether or not Minka plays, we'll find out. But you know those are just they're some of the guys that are the best in the world at what they do. And then they're always able to find and craft complementary guys to just be the kind of unit that they want to be, which is one that puts a ton of pressure on you. But just number one, they pressure a lot from a scheme standpoint, and then just from how aggressive and physical they play. So you got to come ready for that. We, and we know it. I mean, that's part of the it's – the, it's the gift and the curse of being in division with somebody. <laughs> like, you, you understand who they are and what they want to be and what they're trying to do to you better than other teams do. But you also have to face it twice a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we'll be ready. We'll have a great plan. And it's going to be a challenge. They've been called Blitzburg for a reason over the years. They're fifth in the NFL right now in blitz percentage, about 37%. Is that number going to go up against Jake Browning? Who knows? Um, we're expecting a lot of pressure. It, and it, it, Pittsburgh, in my opinion, is a team uh, – everyone obviously is going to have different 
uh, tweaks to their opponent. But there's a scale on that, right? Some teams are very game plan oriented. They're going to craft what they do on a week-to-week basis, and they could look very different. Other teams on the other end of that spectrum are a little bit more in the mold of they're going to do what they do. And, yeah, they're going to have a couple of wrinkles for you. I think Pittsburgh fits more of that, that style. They're going to do what they do. Mm-hmm. They like the pressure. They're going to pressure us. We're going to have to be ready for it, and I know Jake will be. I'm bummed about Joe's injury. You're bummed about his injury. Everybody's bummed about his injury. But I can hear a little excitement in your voice about the opportunity that Jake is getting. It, well, you, you're picking up on something that's there because uh, he, he, he deserves it. And like I said before, you, we're wired a certain way. Like you have to view these things as opportunities. Otherwise, you're, you're never going to have success because they will come up. It's a constant. It's going to happen. No matter what team you work for, how many years you've been in the league, these things will happen. And if you let them derail you, you're, you're never going to get to where you want to go. So we just got to look at it that way, and, and I'm excited for Jake. Appreciate your time. Best of luck against the Steelers. You got it, man. Jake Browning started 53 games at Washington, and the Huskies went 39-14 and 14 in those starts. He led the school to the 14 college football playoff as a sophomore, the Fiesta Bowl as a junior, and the Rose Bowl as a senior. Now, time for the national perspective on the loss of Joe Burrow and the Bengals' prospects moving forward with Jake Browning. You can see Jason McCourty every weekday morning on Good Morning Football, and you can hear him calling NFL games as an analyst for Westwood One. He was in the booth last Thursday night in Baltimore, and I caught up with him this week. Jason, you played in the NFL for 13 years. You were a captain in New England. You've seen it all. And you were in the booth last Thursday when Joe Burrow suffered his wrist injury. What would you say to the Bengals going forward as they prepare to play for the first game without Joe? You're going to have to rally around the new quarterback in Jake Browning. And it's obviously always tough when a starter goes down. But I think for the Bengals, for fans, if you're an NFL fan, seeing Joe Burrow go down, you just absolutely hate it. He's one of our league superstars. He's a guy that when he's out there on the field, you feel like the team can do anything. So watching him go down, and then the way he went down, seeing him on the sideline trying to throw the ball, very tough to see. But I will say, Jake Browning comes in the game, comes out of halftime, leads him down there, kicks a field goal. He's a guy that got in the game, and he played well for them. Obviously, the game was – they were behind, and you're asking him to come in and mount a comeback. But I will say he was impressive in the the snaps that he did get in the game. It was his first extended opportunity to play in an NFL game. Anything particular stand out while he was in there in the second half? I would say poise. I think you get into a game in a hostile environment, on the roll, the division game, and you get an opportunity like that, one that you're not expecting. Moving forward from him, it'll be different. You'll be preparing all week to be the guy. Offense will be tailored around you. You go into that game and you're expecting Joe Burrow to continue to play as he's done so. And then next thing you know, you're thrown into the fire. And there wasn't any huge mistake, no big interceptions. He got in the game. He led their offense and was poised. I would say that's the biggest thing because you want to see that from a young guy that gets in that hasn't seen much NFL action. We're chatting with Jason McCourty. You played defensive back for more than a decade. The Bengals have a lot of young secondary members right now. Cam Taylor-Britt, Dax Hill, DJ Turner, Jordan Battle. What do you think of these guys, and and what's the toughest thing for them being at this stage of their career? I think it's learning and picking everything up and playing as a cohesive unit. You think about the Bengals, and uh, a huge fan of the defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo, got a chance to talk to him a little bit before the game, and Over the past few years, you've watched them in the secondary and you've seen Bates and Von Bell, those guys running it and disguising and moving around and doing all types of different things. 
And now both of those guys move on in one single season. And now you're throwing DJ Turner, you bring Nick Scott out there. And we saw more of Jordan Battle on Thursday night. So the main thing, especially in Lou's defense, is getting up to pace, being on the same page. And uh, their cornerbacks coach there, Charles Burks, I played for in Miami, a tremendous coach in the way he teaches, in the way he uh, just continues to build his guys up. And you can see them turning a page. The injury to Cam Taylor Britt was really tough because he's a young guy out there in year two where he's locked down DK. He's been matched up with the other team's best wide receivers. And that's one hell of a challenge when you're asked to do that, especially as a young DB. Let's circle back to Joe Burrow. You played with the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, and won a Super Bowl ring in New England. What impresses you most about Joe? Oh, Joe, and I don't know him personally, but from the outside, he's just so cool. And you say that, and it sounds like cliche or something to say about a guy, but whether he was dealing with injuries, whether it's an up or down, when you hear him or see him after a game, or even before a game for that matter, he just always seems calm and confident in himself and the guys around him. And that was the one thing for me. I played most of my seasons uh, in Tennessee and one in Cleveland, and we didn't always have a franchise quarterback. And getting a chance to be around Brady always stuck out about him was his greatness, was his work ethic, how he prepared, and just the confidence that he exuded when he was out there on the football field. For the guys on offense, if it's you know, Jamar Chase or T. Higgins or any of those guys, you always know you have a chance when Burrow's back there at quarterback because of his ability. But I think what it does for an entire organization, when you're on defense and you're out there and you know maybe there's three minutes to go and you know, hey, if we can get a stop and get the ball back, our offense is going to do it. The confidence and the mental that that gives you as a player on that field to believe in somebody in that way because of what they've proven to you that Joe Burrow has, it goes a long way in winning football games. It's been a roller coaster ride of a season. Joe's calf injury contributed to a slow start. He got healthy. They won four in a row. Now they've got to go forward without having Joe available. What did you think of the Bengals going into the season? And is this just life in the NFL? It's definitely life in the NFL. And obviously going into the season, extremely high hopes uh, for the Bengals. And then, like you just said, Joe goes down with that calf injury. And it's a slow start. And I remember being on the show saying no team has ever gone 0-2 back-to-back years and still made the playoffs. And I remember saying that for a while. I was just like, oh, my goodness, they're going to do it because of how hot they got and what Joe Burrow looked like. Now, moving forward, you have a new quarterback. you got to figure out a way to get more out of Joe Mixon. He's a guy that when he gets the ball, he seems extremely productive. Their offense was just based more around Joe Burrow with the ball in his hands. I think moving forward, we'll see more of Joe Mixon. You'll see a lot of those plays where they're getting the ball on the outside to whether it's Jamar Chase with blockers in front and those plays kind of gets the ball out of the quarterback's hands quick and gets the ball in space as well. And it got the Pittsburgh Steelers up next, a division opponent who just lost to a rookie quarterback in Dorian Thompson-Robson. So um, obviously a little bleak right now, but I think they still have a chance with Jake Browning. You played both corner and safety in the NFL. You undoubtedly covered some of the all-time great receivers. What do you think of Jamar Chase? Uh, Jamar Chase is a guy I got a chance to see him before the game, and my brother sat down with him actually before the Sunday night game. And I'll use the phrase my brother said when he first met him. He said, watching you play, I'm very happy that I don't play in the NFL anymore. And that would be how I characterize Jamar Chase. He's just unbelievable. His ability on the outside to go get the ball, his route running ability. But then you mix that into just his run after the catch. He's a guy that is just as explosive once the ball is in his hands. And I think what makes him so tough is the weapons that surround him as well. When you have a T. Higgins on the other side, makes it a lot harder to double team him. And you saw that then missing T those last two games. But Jamar Chase, unbelievable talent. Uh, the way he the way he goes about his business, how 
productive he's been early on in his career has been fun to watch. So, Jason, as you noted, the Steelers are coming up this week at Paycor Stadium. Pittsburgh is 6-4, and four, but 28th in points scored, 28th in total yards. What do you think of Kenny Pickett and the state of the Steelers' offense? They've struggled. Um, watching the Pittsburgh Steelers is almost like an anomaly. You're watching them, and it's just like there's no way this team has a winning record because, to your point, they've been outgained yardage-wise, I think, in every single game except one, and they've still found a way to have a winning record and are right there in the playoff race. And if it ended today, it'd be in. But they've struggled mightily on offense, and everybody was killing Matt Canada, cheering fire him in the stadiums. And as the seasons continue to progress, Kenny Pickett is really struggling. And obviously you can criticize play calling and different things. He's missed some throws. Whoever you want to place the blame on, the offense just hasn't been good enough. And Tomlin alluded to that a week ago where he said he needed more out of Kenny Pickett in the offense. This past Sunday against the Cleveland Browns, obviously one of the best defenses in the NFL, they weren't able to do that. And they fell to the Browns 10 to 13 coming off losing Deshaun Watson. So they're a team that's right in the contention of playoffs. But to me, watching it, if they don't find a way to get more out of the offense, they're going to end up just a little short. So the Bengals are 5-5 five and five with seven games to go. If they win this week and they get some help from some other teams, they could climb in the seven, into the seventh and final playoff seed in the AFC with six games to go. Give us a couple of keys for what the Bengals will need to do to beat the Steelers this Sunday. Well, one thing I alluded to is they have to find a way to get Joe Mixon going. I think getting the ground game, it'll obviously slow the game down. It'll uh, allow them to possess the ball for a lot longer. I think on the defensive side of the ball, you just talked about the way that Pittsburgh has struggled to put points on the ball on the board and be able to move the ball. If Cam Taylor Britt, whatever his health situations are, they're going to need to be able to find a way to continue to slow down that that uh, offense. And Jalen Warren, he was unbelievable. He was the one spark plug when you watch the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. Getting him on the ground and figuring that out for the Bengals is going to be the number one thing because the last two weeks they've really struggled against the run game against Houston and Singletary and then against the Baltimore Ravens who got the run game going big time in the second half. I think that's going to be the key to them. And then for Jake Browning, let it loose. I think for a backup quarterback, sometimes you go in and you're timid. And obviously Zach Taylor is going to design the offense to make it a little easier for him. But you prepare for such a long time for an opportunity to be a starter in the NFL. Go out there, play confident, and just go out there and let it fly. Good Morning Football is the best sports show on TV, and you are a big reason why. Jason, we really appreciate your time. Thank you. Oh, anytime. Thanks for having me. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor, proud to be the Bengals' official HR software provider. By Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet, designed to elevate your home, business, and community to a new level. And by Kettering Health, the best care for the best fans. Kettering Health is the official health care provider of the Bengals. Joe Burrow was not the only great player who suffered a season-ending injury last Thursday. The Ravens lost Pro Bowl tight end Mark Andrews with a broken fibula. Mark was injured when Logan Wilson brought him down with what's known as a hip-drop tackle. In a nutshell, it involves wrapping your arms around a player, then allowing your own body weight to drop to the ground. There are studies that suggest that that results in a higher risk of injury, and the NFL is discussing the possibility of banning that technique. From Logan Wilson's perspective, he was doing whatever he could to prevent a fast, 247-pound tight end from getting into the end zone. Nonetheless, many Baltimore fans and some media members ripped Wilson, suggesting 
that it was a dirty tackle. When word of that got to Zach Taylor, he made a point of defending Wilson at a news conference, even without being asked about it. Wilson discussed the vitriol that he's been subjected to on Wednesday. It is what it is. It's kind of the world we live in right now, and some of it was obviously very unnecessary and um, coming at me and my family for really, for no reason. You know, I wasn't playing the game dirty. I never wish any harm on any player I ever go against. I play the game at a... Um, I play my heart out every game, play my butt off, and um, sometimes those injuries happen, it is what it is, but, you know, I was, people would notice I was one of the first people on a knee when Mark went down, because um, you never want that to happen to a guy, especially if him, um, he's a good dude, I'd never wish anything upon him like that. What was it like to hear Zach went out of his way to make sure he, he spoke up on your behalf? Yeah, when I saw him say that, that was, I really appreciated that, and um, I think that just speaks volumes of the, of the guy and the coach that he is, and why guys love him so much and love playing for him, because... Um, sometimes coaches would, really wouldn't go out of their way because it wasn't like he was asked about it. it was like, I think it was at the end of the conference that he kind of went out of his way to say that, and I think that, um, like I said, that speaks volumes, and that's why I love playing. How, how hard is that? I know there's been a lot of conversation about the hip drop and what, what it might look like moving forward. How hard is that as a defender in real time to go about? I honestly wasn't even sure of what a hip drop tackle was prior to that bring, being brought to my attention after the game, and so... Um, you know, obviously, it's some, I guess it's something that they're they're looking at doing, but it's it's hard in the position when you're trying to come from behind and trying to just find a way to bring him down. And it's not like it's not like Mark Andrews is a small human, you know what I mean? So um, you're just trying to find a way to bring the guy down. And unfortunately, that's what happened. And um, like I said, I'd never wish it upon him. And obviously, whenever whenever they decide to do with the hip drop tackle going forward, we'll have to adjust. But it, 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 it would make it a lot harder if that's what they decide to do. Ravens fullback Patrick Ricard had this to say about Logan Wilson. Quote, everybody respects him. I don't think it was intentional or dirty. I think he's a great player. I have respect for him and think he plays the right way. Now, time for this week's Know the Foe segment as we take a closer look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, a team that's currently 6-4 and four and holding down the seventh and final playoff spot in the AFC. But after a 13-10 loss to Cleveland last week, the Steelers made a coaching change, firing offensive coordinator Matt Canada. Running backs coach Eddie Faulkner takes over as OC, but quarterbacks coach Mike Sullivan will be the primary play caller. Brooke Pryor covers the Steelers for ESPN and discuss that and much more on the Bengals Game Plan Show this week with Wayne Box Miller and Dave Lapham. Let me tell you, uh, it has been chaotic to say the least. <laughs> and my my favorite part about all of this is it's such an unprecedented move that the Steelers fired Matt Canada. They haven't famously have not fired uh, a head coach or coordinator in season since 1941. Wow. Uh, the news came out via the Steelers social media Tuesday morning. And Kenny Pickett was still at home asleep because Tuesday is the only day he can sleep in. And I very deeply relate to that because I, too, was kind of dozing <laughs> that morning until the news came out. And suddenly I jumped out of bed and just, you know, away I went. Brooke, did you have an inkling of, you know, there's been rumblings in the last couple of years, no secret. But was there any inkling that this was imminent? No, there there wasn't. I mean, you're right. There have been rumblings in the last couple of years, but most of that has been external noise. Um, it, it's been from inside the building that this team had confidence in Matt Canada, that they 
thought that his schemes and his plays would work. It was just taking some time. And the message from the locker room early in the season was, this is not a play calling issue. This is a lack of execution issue. But I think that the way that Kenny Pickett has regressed over the last couple of weeks, he would not have broken or he didn't break 100 passing yards until the last desperation throw of the loss to the Browns. I think that that was kind of the last straw for the Steelers saying, you know, we've got to kind of choose here between our quarterback and our offensive coordinator. It's a lot easier to move on from a coordinator that's going to be whose contract expires at the end of the season than it is a first round quarterback you drafted less than two years ago. And so I think that that's kind of what put things over the edge. You know, looking at uh, tape and, and now after the fact, you know, it's like, okay, well, well, the body language, I mean, Pickett's body language, Pickens' body language, Najee Harris comes out, you know, with what he had to say. I mean, it just looked like it was time. It looked like the frustration level from a player standpoint had hit the boiling point. Was that pretty much it? You know, I, I think so. And I think that it, it's tough because I think the frustration was pointed in a lot of different directions. Yes, there's absolutely frustration toward Matt Canada because this offense wasn't able to fluidly move the ball. They weren't able to score points. I think there's also some frustration that they were having with themselves for not playing better. And also with Kenny Pickett, because he was not on the same page with some of his receivers like Deontay Johnson. He had Mm -hmm. several overthrows, underthrows. It's just been so off target. And so I think that there were just a lot of bad vibes in general. And I actually talked with Mason Cole, the center about that today, And he said, you know, I I didn't get the sense that there was necessarily division within the locker room, but a move like this does pull everybody together. It it does become an us against the world kind of thing. Um, And so I think that that's something that can kind of jolt an offense and and get them maybe back on some kind of track. Brooke Pryor, ESPN is our guest. And Brooke, um, if you had to look at one thing maybe that uh, Kenny Pickett needs to improve upon, maybe to get this offense in a better place uh, to be more productive, is there anything that you're looking at or that uh, seems to be something that's challenging him a little bit more than maybe people thought? You know, I think to me his pocket presence and pocket awareness has been really disappointing this season because it was something that was so heavily emphasized in the offseason and in training camp I mean, I look at the way that he responds to pressure. He bails out of the pocket so fast. Um, He gets rid of the ball really fast. And granted, he was playing Cleveland last week in Miles Garrett, and we saw in the very first (laughs) play of the game, he got absolutely destroyed. So I I don't blame him for being a little gun-shy in the pocket there, right? But this offensive line is better than it has been in years past. They are buying picket time, but he just doesn't have – the awareness or the ability to to read the field correctly to make the right decisions. And as soon as he starts to get a little antsy, he bails out, is usually rolling to his left, and he's rolled right into pressure before. That's how he got hurt in Houston. He ran right into the defender. Um, And so I think that that's the biggest thing that I want to see. I want to see just better decisions both in the pocket and when he's making his reads. Because maybe, you know, he lacks the arm talent to do some of the, the, you know, deep throws, some things that can make quarterbacking really exciting. But something that he can improve on in the, you know, immediate is just make better decisions. The play calls are there. 
he just has got to move through his progressions and decision-making more fluidly. You know, when I hear you say, um, and I, it, it was obvious on tape with the incompletions by a wide margin, how quarterback and receiver aren't on the same page. And it's going to be interesting how this dual coach uh, filling one position, Eddie Faulkner, the running back coach, will be game planning and Mike Sullivan will be the play caller. But he's got the relationship with, with Pickett. I would think, I remember the legendary Paul Brown, we were struggling one year offensively, and he gets up in front of the offensive team in a meeting. He says, here's our runs this week, and there were three. Here's our passes this week, there were five. And he goes, well, we'll run them out of different formations, but damn it, we're going to do these right until you guys can get them right. Then I'll start adding more plays. I would think that maybe Sullivan and Faulkner may melt it down. Maybe maybe it, there was a little too much on the mind to pick it. And, and you got to simplify it a little bit. And, you know, rep it over and over and over again and, and run it out of different looks and um, get the ball to, to Pickens, you know, uh, in, in a in a manner where both parties are on the same page. And I, I don't think that that's out of the question. Right, absolutely. I mean, I think they need to run the kiss offense, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Let's not – don't overcomplicate it. We don't need all the jet motion, all of the, the movement before the – just there is a way to do it that is not – the way that Matt Canada was running it, where it was, it, it was both very predictable and elementary while also overcomplicating hmm. some things and just trying to have him do too much. And so I think that they really need to run the ball more. That's something that they've shown the last three weeks has gotten significantly better. Jalen Warren is a great back. He's a slippery guy. He's really dynamic. I think that Najee Harris, he knows he needs to be better. He's not playing like a first-round pick right now, but I think if they can lean on the run game to get things going and, and open things up, shoot, then let's move on to the play action, some RPO game, because Pickett has proven to be much better when he's throwing out of play action. And for some reason, the Steelers just weren't going to it. So I think if they can do those things, they'll be better. Um, but you're right, it is going to be interesting to see how these kind of shared OC duties end up playing out the rest of the year. But you're right, the relationship between Mike Sullivan and Kenny Pickett has got to be a big factor here in having Sullivan be the voice in Pickett's ear on right, Sundays. Right. Yeah, looking on the defensive side of the ball, uh, is Minka Fitzpatrick close to returning? What's the status or what are you hearing about him? You know, Minka hasn't practiced for several weeks. Um, he seemed like he was close to coming back against Green Bay and then didn't. And he hasn't practiced since then. He, he didn't practice uh, today. And I think that it's, you know, Mike Tomlin wouldn't answer clearly if there had been a setback in this hamstring injury that he sustained, I mean, four weeks ago. It's going on a month ago. Um, but it would seem to suggest that something had happened because they clearly didn't anticipate it taking potentially four games. Otherwise, right. they would have put him on IR. Um, I kind of read into the way that Mike Tomlin delivers his press conferences and the way that he, the order in which he um, announces the injuries or details the injuries. Last week, Binko was towards the end of that list, which made me think, okay, he's an afterthought. He's probably not going to end up being able to play. This week, he was the first guy listed uh, in terms of he's fighting to come back and he wants to be available. So I last week, I felt like there was maybe a 30% chance he plays. 
this week I feel like it's 50-50. And it's something, somebody that they would definitely like to have back because they just put Elijah Riley on IR along with uh, Keanu Neal. It's, they are really, the cupboard is really bare in the safety group. Boy, they, it's not bare up front, and it never ends, it seems like, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, boy, Cameron Haywood, uh, T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith. I mean, these guys are all still, and others up front, are playing at an exceptionally high level, and it seems like the Pittsburgh Steelers have had that going on defensively for forever. I mean, Mike Tomlin and prior to Mike Tomlin, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how year in and year out that is a staple that you can always count on. The Pittsburgh Steelers' defensive front will be a handful every single snap. Oh, absolutely. And Keanu Benton, the rookie, has played really, really well. He was really helped out because he got a lot of playing time early in his career this year when Cam Hayward was out with the groin injury. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that one thing to note is that against the Bengals in the first half, or against the Browns in the first half, they weren't getting any pressure on Dorian Thompson Robinson which is concerning. I mean, the Browns have a decent offensive line. Um, oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't say that it's a, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's a top five unit, but especially playing against a rookie quarterback. I mean, you'd think that they would really just get after the quarterback and yes, the Browns had a good run game, but at the same time, it was a little bit concerning that they just weren't getting any pressure on him. They did make second half adjustments. TJ Watt had a much better second half. He had a sack how to believe uh, three quarterback hits. But I, I think that that is an area where they know they have to kind of, that's going to be their bread and butter, especially because the inside linebackers are down several guys with Cole Holcomb and Quan Alexander having season ending injuries. This is now all Landon Roberts. He played great last week. He had 15 tackles uh, and they've also added Michael Walker was brought up. They just signed miles Jack. Uh, to the practice squad, Blake Martinez, to the active roster. So they're trying to fortify that group. But while they figure themselves out, it's got to all start up front. You think Miles Jack will uh, will be brought up right away? And I'll tell you what, Roberts, man, that dude's a thumper. That guy's a hitter. Yeah, he is a hitter. And, and I think it was also encouraging for him. Like, he knows that he can play in coverage, um, although he that has not been one of his strong suits. And he played well in every aspect, every sub package, in coverage, you name it. He did it all last week. And you could tell him in the locker room after a game, as you guys know, is a very interesting place, especially after a loss, because the group that's the most responsible for it is really upset. But then you have guys like Alandon Roberts, who like, he, he kind of had a spring in his step. Mm-hmm. He just played a great game. Um, but as far as Miles Jack, I, I don't think it's going to be right away, yeah. especially when you consider he was retired. Uh, he was telling us today that he was working on getting his pilot's license. He bought oh, a wow. hockey team. <laughs> he was really surprised to get the call. Um, and he ended last year. My my lasting memory of him at the end of the season was he had to sit down in the locker room when he was getting dressed to put on a pair of pants because he was so injured and so banged up. Hmm. Obviously, that's not the case now, but he is a guy that has a lot of wear and tear that they would like him to be able to play, but I think it's going to take a couple weeks before he's up to speed. This feels like an insurance signing more than anything. The Steelers are a a one-and-a-half-point favorite on Sunday. Here's an invitation to join Dave Lapham and me for the Bengals pep rally show this week. We'll be at the Wings and Rings Monroe location from 2.30 to 5.30 on Friday, 
And our special guest in the final hour of the show will be rookie safety, Jordan Battle. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Paycor, proud to be the Bengals' official HR software provider. By Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet, designed to elevate your home, business, and community to a new level. And by Kettering Health, the best care for the best fans. Kettering Health is the official health care provider of the Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.